multicultural headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking states of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Tonight, since you've already created your own religion, we invite you to begin designing your own school curriculum. The danger of knives in the hands of an inattentive handler. A bear on the loose in Bellelli's dreams, battling that demon inside you known as fear, the disturbing tale of American hero Pat Tillman, and realizing that too much cool stuff to learn equals a permanent cure for boredom. And now, asking that you and your friends and neighbors band together to replace every member of the House of Representatives, I am Rich Evers, and my partner in crime, teacher, fighter, author, an all-around swell guy with a fantastic accent, Daniele Bolelli. Away we go. Welcome back, everybody. This is episode 32, the first Happy Belated New Year. But uh, 2014 begins with a little conversation between myself and our good pal, Daniele Bolelli. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you and to the rest of you guys out there. Quick thank you to our sponsor, Datsusara, with the greatest hemp gear on the planet, if you guys travel, if you guys need a computer bag, anything like that, hemp made, good for the environment, very resistant, doesn't get any better than that. Onnit.com for uh, exercise equipment, mm, supplements, special foods, the whole gamut of wild things that Mr. Aubrey Marcos bring to the table. Zombie kettlebells. Check bells. them out. Zombie kettlebells, of course. <laughs> and the beauty of it is that he has, um, you know, you don't like his stuff. That's fine, you don't pay them in that case, and you just simply say, okay, didn't work for me, bye-bye. See, the great aspect of it is that you get to try things, and if you're not satisfied, you don't pay. That easy. So that's how the game works. Uh, Short Design, uh, the most amazing T-shirts on the planet, made of the softest materials. Speaking of T-shirts, we are going to be getting sometime soon, probably... Let's see, this one comes out in mid-January, so by, say, probably by March, there will be a whole new batch of a second T-shirt. Not only we're going to restock on our old one, but we're going to get a new type of T-shirt, still in short design material with a new design. It's going to be a wild one. We'll chat about it as it gets closer to release. Um, But beside our stuff, check out short design. He really has some amazing stuff in there. I really, really love all these things. Um, look at the, the website. All the websites are in the episode notes. Yeah, if you've never checked, fellas, there's lots of good stuff for your lady in there, too. Yoga pants, really cool dresses with awesome prints on them. So yep. it's not just T-shirts. It's all kinds of great stuff. And, you know, Valentine's Day. When uh, when I check out Shirt Design website, I feel more in, con- more in touch with my feminine side. There are moments where I'm like, Shit, I can see how it would be fun to be a woman wearing those wild dresses, but I haven't quite gotten there yet. But in that case, you can still get it for someone else who's a lady if you're a man, or if you are a lady, go for it. Then you can sneak and try it on later. Yeah. I didn't just say that. <clears throat> um, um. Thank you to our affiliate sponsor, Coracao Chocolate. There's an extra discount between now and Valentine's Day. So there's Rich has some Coracao chocolate in his hand as we speak. Oh, is this a coconut thing? Yeah, that thing is good, man. I really like that one. So, yes, you guys are in the market for Valentine's Day or you don't need an excuse to enjoy good chocolate. Check out Coracao, as usual, with all the discounts in the episode notes. And last but not least, Audible.com. 
for uh, audiobooks, lectures. There's so much stuff out there on Audible. And much like with the only deal that we're talking about, you get to try it for free. You want to do uh, Audible through the Drunken Taoist, you get a free month where you can pick up a book or something else that you want. You get to keep it. If you don't like it, then you don't need to. You can discontinue the thing. You don't pay a dime. If you like it, you get a new book every month. And with that, well, speaking of books, of course, if you guys still like the other version and you are on Amazon, you're on Amazon.com and not even books, you know, anything that Amazon by now sells, probably even, you know, you need a child. You can probably buy one on Amazon by now. But on that note, please buy your child through our Amazon link because uh, they will give us a kickback. And it's a nice way for you guys to support the show without having to spend an extra dime compared to what you were going to spend anyway on Amazon. And we get a tiny drop of soulless corporate blood money. We love that. We are particularly fond. Any <laughs> So on that note, without further ado, let's get the ball rolling. So here we go, it's episode 32, up and running. It must be time to rant about something. New Year's is here. Let's rant away. We had uh, offered a challenge, uh, not a challenge, an exercise, I guess, uh, a couple of months ago or so. We had mentioned this idea of creating your own school curriculum. You know, uh, you have spent so much time in school and the skills they have learned, some of them you got to use, the overwhelming majority you didn't and proved kind of useless in life. And so the question was, imagine how much time you get to spend in school if you were to design your own school, which, you know, post uh, fourth grade or something, after you know how to count and subtract and you know how to read the, the basic stuff, what kind of stuff would you want to learn? Or even today, as an adult, if you had to go through some deep, intense schooling or if it's a college or whatever, what type of stuff do you value for life? What are the kind of things that you would want to learn? No limits anything whatsoever so we ask the question let you guys think about it for a while today we throw what our answers are and uh, you know compare notes see if anything clicks with you but let's go play so rich what's your take what are some of yours well i uh i sort of managed in sort of 10th 11th grade putting your own schedule together uh-huh. kind of eight periods in the day and i do realize i do need to have some math in my life i do realize i have to have some history in my life but um i would rearrange the schedule so radically that i would have astronomy class starting at about four in the morning because <laughs> <laughs> great time you got the transition to daylight lots of things to learn there lots of things to look at get your telescope time in there and then immediately go to some sort of music practice, band practice, because it's always been important to me. Because you're gonna it's about six in the morning. Right. Everybody's kinda gelling at that point. And at that point, home act being important, I would have cuisines of the world. I dig that. And you know, different <clears throat> classes doing different ones at a time that you would swap out. You would also be responsible for lunch. So you would handle those things. So like today some nice Indian food from my squad and then the people tomorrow will do Peruvian uh, just to make breakfast and lunch much more entertaining and then after breakfast after all that early morning uh, astronomy it's time for a nap i like that early day siesta 
They're much more organized than I am. You got it. You better keep down as a schedule. Wow. Well, I did. That's all I could think of. My topics are always the same. It's just me again. You know, from 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 them forward, I said I'd have to have a history class, but it would be Dan Carlin's future history class. I like it. Um, Common sense with money. How to not get stolen by credit card bastards. Sure. yeah, dodging lying thieving bastards who give credit cards is what I had here. Uh, I would still want my marine biology class that I always sort of dreamed of and didn't even take in college. I think there would be some room for some art. Um, definitely some running around of some sort. Back in those days, it would have been soccer for me because I just loved doing that. Uh, then you kind of got your late lunch. Have to have a language of some sort, even though I'm terrible at them. And uh, <clears throat> wrap the afternoon up with the most important one, uh, appropriate oral pleasuring of women for beginners. <laughs> well, Which why. would only be a one credit, you know, so you could switch. But maybe not one-on-one, maybe with some of those um, kind mistresses of, 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 of mercy that you've spoken of in the past. Oh, no, I'm meaning like, as in uh, the title is introduction to. So exactly. Oh, yeah, one-on-one. one-on-one. Oh, yeah, yeah. I thought you said one-on-one. I was no. like, that's much too early for yeah, that. Yeah. This is going to be more graphs and, and right. practice at home. Um, and that would sort of be the day. I mean, I would love that class schedule. And, and I even, you know, I forced some math in there. But it's just, that's what I would do. I mean, if I went back to Not school bad. right now, I'm sure I would chase an astronomy degree of some kind anyway. Not bad. I dig it. No, I got. I went in a more general list of things and starting to see pattern. There's no schedule. There's no, there's way more stuff than you could fit in any schooling of one person. There's so, but some of the topics were... I went. I mean, the um, history and philosophy only in the measure as they are wisdom-oriented. So, really, I'm only interested in philosophy that can elevate the quality of life. If it doesn't do that, it's an insult to the trees it was written on. It's just a waste of paper. So, to me, history and philosophy only, history I love Dan Carlin, you know, making it awesome storytelling, fascinating, lessons for life as opposed to some random notions that you throw in there. Same with philosophy. So, it's, yeah, they are the same topics that are taught in some schools, but in a very different fashion. So, but that much, you know, well, we can have some continuity at least. And as far as Dan goes, I mean, the first one I listened to from him was the Magellan story. Yeah. And just uh, happening to see the Rio feed, you know, yesterday. Right. The thought of him rolling into that bay, mm-hmm. and there weren't three million partiers there, but there were brown women on canoes coming out to welcome them. Yep. Wow. Nobody ever painted a picture like that for me in any history class. That would make it so much more interesting, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, please continue. So once we got rid of that stuff, which is still semi-normal, right? It's the kind of stuff that you do find in schools. I would put a hell of a lot of emphasis on physical things, starting with practices like yoga, strength and conditioning, however that may be, whether it's weights, whether it's running, whether it's, but, you know, basically strength and conditioning, uh, meditation and Qigong, archery, martial arts, and I have a whole list of different martial arts that I would deeply be into. Um, along that note, if you are so inclined, I wouldn't mind firearms and knives expanding the martial arts in a different direction, I guess. From there, I dig, um, I particularly dig, uh, if those of you guys especially who have read the Sam Sheridan um, Disaster Diaries, the whole emphasis on survival, 
from fire making to how to make shelter in the middle of a forest to tracking to making a rope to fishing and you know the whole full gamut of survival skills it may or may not be important to you in your life but i find it whether it turns out to be important for real or whether it's purely as a hobby i find it fascinating i find interesting the notion of how you could live if civilization was to collapse tomorrow not because I'm planning for that necessarily to happen, but I still find it interesting. I maybe my own weird thing. I think I'm going to attend that to our summer school for my program because I had you know great memories of that stuff. I mean, I did a lot of Boy Scouting back mm-hmm. in the day, and once you got up a certain level, they took you out, dropped you in the woods, and said, "See you four days." Yep, and that stuff resonates to today. Absolutely. So that to me is. Pff- Compared to 99% of the stuff I've learned in school, that would have been so much more fun. Yeah. Along with that, I like your cooking idea and cuisine. So to me, hand-in-hand nutrition and cooking. So nutrition, you know, most of the time is studied in this boring abstract fashion where they go into this abstract notion of nutrition forever and ever and ever. With a pyramid or a box or yeah. something that's going to change next week when the Dairy Council falls out of favor. All this, too much theory. You yeah. know, I like nutrition in a more applied fashion. So you quick basic important stuff and then make the immediate link between the theory of nutrition to actually getting those ingredients cooking them into some good stuff and learning how to because i mean that's the loop right you can have all the knowledge about nutrition in the world but if you are lazy and you're a crappy cook and you don't know how to put it together it doesn't mean much and vice versa if you're an awesome chef but you know nothing about what is healthy for you you end up eating great and dying tomorrow. This so it's, fried cheese on cheese with extra cheese and butter sauce is quite incredible. Exactly. So direct loop between cooking and nutrition, which I think are awesome skills for life. Speaking of awesome skills for life, gardening, which also goes hand in hand with cooking and nutrition. Because yeah. the whole idea of having your own food that grows in the garden, planting it, getting it out of the garden understanding everything that grows both at the gardening end as well as seeing like forestry or you know at any level whether how to get food how to grow your own weed how to you know everything dealing with stuff that grows with plants how much does izzy like going out and pulling tomatoes off the vine definitely lots yeah. and lots we had our especially in, in, when we were in tennessee we had huge yard and always had awesome gardens and yeah. it was fun not only for the, for the successes but like three straight years of failures with corn because some damn weevil would come along mm-hmm. and figuring out what we gotta do to be at him it's constant learning so important and to me that's science you know it's like that's applied science yeah. you know it's science in a way that science in school to me was so insanely boring because it was completely abstract if somebody makes me apply science to growing food yeah. out there in the garden i'm gonna be super fascinated with it and you get to watch it exactly it's not, it's not, you're not waiting 10 years for anything to happen this is going to be done in three months everybody <laughs> exactly so and you get to eat the results yep we that's what i mean like a very hands-on aspect to it all you know whether it is uh making your own wine you know you name it you know stuff like that where on the um, hands-on aspect i think some basic medicine you know whether it's uh emergencies or anything more advanced but that's a skill that i think everybody should have on a more pleasant less urgent but pleasant healthy aspect massage I think everybody in the universe should know how to massage because the quality of life would improve dramatically for everybody 
you don't do it professionally, you just do it for people you love. Hell, that's something really sweet you can do for other people. Yeah, human once beings. you got somebody who knows how to pop that shoulder properly, that's a good person to have around. Yep, big time. Hoy, I feel better just thinking about it. Yes, exactly. And I mean, that again is something, it's a skill you learn and immediately improves the quality of life. You make a lot of people very happy, very quick that way. As long as you're not that creepy bastard that likes to yeah. initiate uninvited shoulder rubs. If you're a freak, that's a whole different story. Yeah, you might have to lose some fingers, at least the thumbs. Yeah, most definitely. Some basic handy aspect, you know, learning how to fix stuff around the house, learning how to, at a more advanced level, even learning how to put together a house, how to work on... Uh, cutting a window into the wall, how to redo, replaster the wall, how to... How awesome would that be? Up, you know, basically, I, I wouldn't say make your own home because it's not a one-man project for the most part. It's kind of difficult to do, but at least have a working understanding for this stuff where you can understand big chunks of it. No, you've inspired me, though. Why Why not have, a, you know, that's a sort of a Wednesday-Friday thing where you go out to the Habitat for Humanity house... And this week we're going to put windows in, or this week, yep. you know, because I think that's something that's dreadfully missing in our children's education is volunteering. Yeah, and the way you do something where you see the result right away, yeah. you know, you see what the result of your work is. So there's people living in there. Because so much of schooling is put a bunch of work that lead to absolutely no result. Here is you put a bunch of work that you eat. You put a bunch of work that there's a house there. You put a bunch of work that you fix your car. You know, mechanics would be really good in that sense. Well, and those are great because there will be people that sort of naturally drift into something. You know, that yeah. I love this construction or I love the automotive stuff. And then let them stay there and get great at it. You, exactly. There's that. There's an aspect where you start seeing a connection with an actual profession that you can do. There's even for pleasure. You know? How do they do that in Italy? Do they have that subdivision? Because I know no, one of the communist countries, if you showed any sort of, you know, and that's, of course, the 80s and the 70s again, but they would kind of put you in those classes in here. No, Italy sucks. That's <sighs> awful. I'm liking our school already. <clears throat> Arts, in that regard, anything from music to writing to cinema, painting, architecture, you name it, all of it. Um, my outlook tendencies, I would love for people to teach me some well okay that's somewhat illegal so anything from breaking and entering to how to start a car because there are emergencies you know it's good to know how to be a good ninja but <laughs> on a different note <laughs> anything to do with the water swimming surfing sailing that kind of stuff woodworking would be awesome both for artistic purposes and so on i like that stuff like rock climbing horsemanship you know that kind of the list is endless. This is a partial one, right? It's just to give you an idea and some food for thought. But you can see basic trends. There's a big emphasis about relationship with the body through a bunch of disciplines. There's a big emphasis about what you put in your body, food, nutrition, how you get it there, gardening, um, more on self-reliance, basic medicine, handyman, mechanic, an artistic aspect, uh, there are all these, you can see patterns that exist in this, but it really boils down to closing the loop between learning in theory and applying right away. That's the total difference right there. Actually, get out and get your hands dirty and do something. Yeah. I love that you mentioned archery because in a, in a darker time when I was working on the hunting and fishing shows, not that they were terrible, but it was just... Right. Um, Kentucky introduced archery mm -hmm. into the gym class. Wow. That's awesome. And what they found was 
the chunky kid, the slow kid, a lot of the girls who were sort of just had no interest at all were great at this. Right. And just being great at something that you didn't know you're going to be good at gave them so much self-esteem that it lifted them in everything. And that's the beautiful thing that when you have a bunch of different skills they are going to try, the odds are at least one of them you're going to be good at. Yep, you're going to find something. And once you learn how to master one field, it becomes so much easier to learn in other fields as well. Yeah. And these are all applied. You know, these are all applied skills that when I think about the amount of time I spent in school, you know, if a fraction of the time I've been dedicated to strength and conditioning, you'd have a crazy awesome body. If a fraction of the time I've been dedicated to cooking, you'd be an amazing chef. If a fraction of the time I've been dedicated to any of these things, you would have two, three, four, five skills that you currently don't have that are great that you can apply in your day-to-day life and I'll be considerably happier. So that's my ideas in terms of the create your own school. That's some of my personal curriculum of what I would throw in there. Awesome. I'm ready to sign up right now. I mean, it's without question. What if we had taken, let's just say, a half a trillion of that money we dumped into Iraq Mm -hmm. and had been making schools like this for the past 10 years? Seriously. China and India would be nervous instead of gloating. Yeah. And in that regard, those of you guys who ever feel bored, come up with a list like this of all the cool stuff that you could possibly want to learn, and you'll never be bored again. Because basically, you have an, like this list is there's no way in the world that I can spend, if I spend my entire life, I can't even start learning half of it, right? So the reality is there's so much stuff out there that you can dedicate yourself to that's a lot of fun that you can derive a lot from. Yeah, and immediately you can start on the one you like the most. Exactly. Space.com is waiting for you. So there's no reason whatsoever to ever be bored because there's just too much cool stuff out there to get into. Fantastic. That wasn't a rant. That was a rave. Yeah. (laughs) Rant in a loser sense. For a visit into Bellelli's Dream Time. All right, everybody, it's time to peek behind Bellelli's closed eyes and see what sort of freaky incarnations that are floating around in there tonight. And I'm sure everybody's wondering if there's a orgasm counting gnome update. We'll see. Um, I'll throw the dream at you, and we'll figure out if the gnome showed up or not. I think I hear bells already. No, the bell part, probably not, but I suspect we'll go into it. Basically, the dream is I'm dreaming that I'm in uh, my kitchen, and in my kitchen I have this big window that goes onto the garden, and I see what's going on out there, and and I see this big freaking brown bear, just big and solid, roaming in the garden and just taking off running straight for my house. And I'm like, what the hell is he doing? And just doesn't slow down, comes straight for the window where I'm at, at on the um, in the kitchen. The window is a little higher, so it's not going to reach the window, but it's definitely going to hit the wall at this rate. And it sure does just charge like, boom, bump against the wall of the house. But, you know, still not enough to break it and come in. So I'm like, what the hell is this bear doing? And I remember I saw... Uh, friends and relatives outside in a different direction and i was yelling at them like hey watch out there's a bear on the loose uh, you know and <laughs> but then i don't see the bear anymore the bear was nowhere to be found and and that was that that was the dream now the gnome i have a slight suspicion you know there was no gnome in the dream 
but I have a slight suspicion that on a tiny saddle on hiding in between all that fur, a little bastard was riding the bear charging into my house. I don't discount that as a possibility, but no, officially the gnome didn't make an appearance. It was just angry bears, but... Um, Has the gnome union made their... Um their decision yet on the on, on the carpal tunnel um, issue? They uh, they sent a letter that they received the complaints and that it's they will eventually you know they they will get to it. Don't worry, we'll assign an officer to check on your complaint. That could definitely be him out there. Yeah, a little needle right in the head. Boop. On that note, I applied for uh, creating a non-profit like a year ago. IRS never even a never even passed the file to somebody yet to be in charge of it that's a year i'm like jesus man how long does that take how many gnome profits are there out there tell me about it (laughs) that was beautiful (laughs) (laughs) all right everybody have sweet dreams out there so it's time to uh take our lives in our own hands and unzip the digital mailbag and see what sort of nutty wacky questions have come across to uh, visit us this time what do you got hiding in there this time let's do that so we have uh, a bad man and I only actually got names for two of the four people who wrote us questions so sorry for your two anonymous ones but um, one is regarding um, somebody asked me a question about on the warrior's path um but it's not specific to the book itself, or rather it's something I've written in there, but it's my views regarding the military. And that's a controversial one, I guess, because I have gotten a few people who are have been in the army or in some branch of the military or another who got bent out of shape about some stuff I've said within on the warrior's path. They dug all the f- warrior philosophy, but when I started mentioning my take on the army, they were not so keen on me anymore. I've seen mm-hmm. that on Amazon as well, where they were not quite so pleased. And um, so basically the listener is asking me to expand on that regarding, because here is the thing, there's also a very high number of people in various branches of the military who are either drunken Taoist listeners, people who have written to me because of On the Warrior's Path and they loved it. So clearly where I'm going there is not uh, soldiers are stupid or evil. That's not at it at all. So let's clarify what I was saying. What's my issue with the military is. Is uh, my main issue with the military is that you don't get to choose. The moment you sign up to be a soldier, that means that you have to trust that your entire chain of command, going from the officer above you to the top general to the all the way to the commander in chief, they're going to be making good choices. Because you, as a soldier, don't really get to choose which war you're going to fight into. You don't get to choose how you're going to go about it in terms of what missions are okay or not. All of that comes to you from the top to a large degree. So as a soldier, you get to implement somebody else's plan. That's given away a hell of a lot of choice, more choice that I'm comfortable with. Because whereas for me, if you are, if you are a member of a tribe and you're fighting for your tribe, there's a lot of choice involved right there you are one of the few people there who are making choices about how do we respond to this threat there's an immediate connection to you and your life when you are a soldier the problem is choice is removed 
choice is you sign up for the next 40 years for all you know you don't even know you're gonna who's gonna be your commander-in-chief half of the time because maybe there's an election halfway through and you don't know who the hell is gonna be what policies they're gonna push uh oh the war that you thought you were going into you're not going you're going into another one that you completely disapprove of but you don't have a choice about no way sorry guys i that's not really what i signed up for well you did because as a soldier, you're just there to take orders, essentially. Well, the worst part, you know, and, and this is, I was an army brat. And uh, once you sign up, you lose your right to sue the U.S. government. Right. So not only can you not complain about it, you can't do anything to get any sort of retribution for horrible things anyway. And I am, it's funny, I, I'm pro-military but anti-war. I understand right. the, the necessity for it. I think it's great for a lot of people, especially you get amazing training. I think the wars have been bullshit. And I hate seeing the, the, the military wasted on things that didn't really benefit anybody unless your name is Mr. Halliburton. Right. Um, but overall... It's a, it's, it's a necessary part of our society. It's always going to be there. Of course. And uh, it's great people inside of it. I grew up saying, you know, learning that the only color in the army is green. Right. And, and that's the other thing. I have absolutely nothing against the people who are in the army, serving no. or in any branch of. It's not about the individuals being in there or anything negative about that. Not at all. There are awesome people. Many of them, again, our listeners, we go back and forth by email all the time. and Insanely brave. So no issue whatsoever on an individual level. There's an issue on a systematic level, and yeah. the issue is boiled down that, again, you soldier and choice are two words that don't go extremely well together. Because as a soldier, again, you are a pawn in a game, which if you trust that the people using you essentially are good people and they are going to be using you for good reasons with, then great, everything is fine. You are the muscle who carry out certain policies. Can you offer any examples of those good deeds? Because I can't think of any. Yeah, no, that's my problem. That's why I have a problem with it, is that to me, I don't see it happening often, or in some cases, I can even possibly say ever, because I can't really think of too many examples where I can see a, a, yeah, sure, that's a good one, where I can see a government that I trust so much, where I trust that the officer above you is a cool guy who's not a psycho on a power trip, that the guy above him is not a psycho on a power trip, that the guy above him is not, that the general in charge of your platoon is not, that, you know, when it gets all the way up to the various branches that it takes to get to commander-in-chief, that everybody along the chain of command, they are all decent human beings that are going to make good choices that you could uh, support and feel proud of engaging in. Well, if you can do that, then it's awesome. But the problem is that I don't really see, and this is not an anti-US thing, is I don't see any government anywhere where I have that level of trust, where I want to be a pawn in their hands because I simply don't trust their decision making. That's no, it. Feels like it feels like the helicopter salesman's got more say, definitely than some grunt that's at the bottom of the rank. Right. You know, it's a yeah. I'm with you 100. percent I mean, the soldiers are awesome. Their duties are difficult. Right. And it has to be done. But man, does that suck to hand away all that freedom exactly so to clarify it's not an anti-soldier thing at all it's an anti the system itself in the fact that a soldier has by definition is not going to have a choice in uh, picking what policies what wars what anything they want to be the muscle for they just have to be the muscle that has to obey the orders coming down from the chain of command that's a tough position to be in that covers that so i'm i'm, I'm reading that um aftermath book 
I think maybe Dan Carlin recommended it to us. And it's World War One right now. Uh-huh. And there are sections of France where bombs still come out of the ground. Oh, yeah. The, the numbers are stunning. I mean, single yeah. battles where a million shells were fired. Yep, yeah, big time. Just to splatter everybody enough so you could take one trench for six hours. And then the other side would gas the trench. And all those guys would be dead. Yeah. And they'd roll on it. It's blowing my mind. Don Carlin has, as we speak, a World War One podcast series going on. Yeah. So that's an interesting one. But yeah, World War One is not one of the things that you look at when you want to be feeling good about life. It's heavy, it's depressing, it's really some nasty stuff going on. It was the Industrial Revolution meets warfare. Yep, big time. I think the, the, the neatest thing, and I know I'm on a sidetrack right here, but the idea of the old uniforms being super bright you know the blues and the oh, reds yeah. coming out that was because they couldn't see each other in the smoke yeah 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 but crazy. once this sort of smokeless artillery came along then it was all mud and forest color yep done nothing Over. prettier than flamethrower black on a soldier yike anyway with that happy news on a happier note <laughs> um mike ask me regarding my take on attachment i guess it's a very open-ended question because you know we can go in many different directions regarding attachment now attachment is a tricky beast because on one end it's inevitable it's natural you know the fact that you like something that you have preferences for something which anyone who's alive does means that you want those things you want to get to keep them you don't want to lose them the more you love something the you are the more you want to make sure that it's protected and you never lose it and at the same time, we live in a universe in which that's just not the way it works. You lose everything at one point or another, from your own physical capabilities to people you love to stuff you care about. So it's not that atta- there's something uh, perversely unnatural in attachment. It's not. It's very natural. At the same time, it's a recipe for misery because the way the universe is designed is the more attachments you have, the more in pain you're going to be. So it's a tricky balance between, on one end, being human and having your passions and loves and things, and the inevitable minimum degree of attachment that goes with it, and indulging in it, which means you're going to be miserable a lot of the time as all those things get to be taken away from you. So it takes, it's really about a crazy paradox in which you get to enjoy things, and, and things is a little easier, but people... And yet, without being attached to the fact that it's going to last forever and ever, because nothing does. And so it really boils down to the antidote toward uh, getting hooked on attachment is living in the moment. Easier said than done, obviously. And again, if it's hard when it comes to things, things but when it comes to people, shh, that's really hard, of course. But also it comes from a recognition that everything comes and goes, including people, including yourself, your own identity is going to go. So that idea of being able to enjoy like crazy life when it's there, when it's vibrating in front of you, and yet being able to say, okay, it's time has come, now is, uh, it's a difficult thing, you know, I'm not going to lie, I'm not going to make it sound like, let me tell you how to do it, because, you know, it's not like I know perfectly, I struggle with it myself on a daily basis. At the same time, I don't think it's wise to just give in and say attachment is natural, go for it, it's okay, because the problem is it will cause a lot of misery to you. So I'm not saying get rid of attachment, but limiting attachment is definitely a healthy step. Things are such a tricky thing, you know? I mean, it's nice to have nice stuff. I guess our our friend Arthur Rosenfeld did it best, you know? If you're going to have a watch, 
have a nice watch. Right. But there's no reason for 15 of them. Yeah, of course. And I don't know. I guess we see so much, and it's really kind of enforced in our society, the things you must have. Oh, you got to have a Rolex and yeah, a fast car of. and all this sort of silly shit that people chase and can't afford when they should be focused on the simple things. If yeah. you can have a group of nice friends or somebody who's special to you, you know, those are good attachments. They're not they're not poisoning you the way kind of, well, it's almost idolatry at some point where I've got to have this thing, and when I get this thing, I'm going to be happy. And I don't think I know a soul who's out there chasing the new BMW or has to have the newest iPhone or all those sort of cats. What is it, fun for like 30 seconds yeah, when exactly. you first try it out, and then that's yeah. done. Now you're just more like envy times, protect my shit. That's not a good mind space to be in. No, and even the good one, even the good attachment, people you love, things, stuff like that, is still tricky because of course you're going to have it, but at the same time, good luck because all those things go. No um, guarantee. No, there are no guarantees. And so attachment breeds fear. And fear fucks you up. That's just where it's at. You know, There's a direct connection between attachment and fear and fear and stifling who you could be your level of happiness and fear is sort of that demon that's going to work on the inside of you day in and day out limiting who you can be and how much enjoyment you can derive out of life so that's the reason why attachment opens the door to some unhealthy things that's the only problem about attachment and i know you know to our millennial listeners out there uh, your generation is really coming across as crazily uh, entitled they seem and I don't know what you think the world owes you, you know? Tricky business. Tricky business. I yeah. have lost the name of the next quest person posing the next question. I only remember that they are from Australia. Oh. But sorry, man. I lost your name along while transferring the info into my file. Here we got cool questions about Taoism. Basically say he is arguing that um, he likes the stuff he has heard regarding Taoism. He is trying to implement some Taoist idea in his life, research a little bit. But part of the question is, he hasn't really, he said, I haven't fully researched Taoist literature by aligning myself as a Taoist. I'm doing a disservice to the whole thing because, you know, I, I, I don't really know it from A to Z. I don't know the full deal. So when I say I'm into the things, am I deluding myself? And worse of all, am I giving it a bad name because I'm claiming a title that then I have limited understanding of or what? You know, does he, the way he put it, which was funny, was he's a half-assed Taoist still a Taoist, which I thought was pretty funny. <clears throat> of course. Yeah, exactly. Let's start with of course, in the sense that on one level, Taoism doesn't require any allegiance. You don't have to be a Taoist to be a Taoist. Let's start with that. You know, things are the way they are. Taoism is um, it's a way of life. It's a way to approach life. Whether you have read those ideas in the Tao Te Ching or some other Taoist text or not, is completely irrelevant. There are people that what they say, their philosophy of life, their attitude, their priorities, all of that is very, very Taoist, and yet they may have never heard of Taoism before. So are they, are they not? It's an issue of semantics, you know, who cares? Is they are in practice, they are in essence, that's what counts. As far as, uh, you know, saying uh, what you say when people ask you about stuff like that, sure, you can say, hey, I dig this stuff, what I've heard of it is really awesome, but 
I don't know it all, and I'm sure there are other aspects of it that I might not agree with. Who the hell knows? But based on my understanding at this point, the stuff I heard is fun. And the stuff I heard is specifics. This is what I like, this is what I like, this is what I like. Because otherwise you end up again in one of those generalities. Is like, Taoism is great. Well, what does that mean? What does Taoism mean to you? You know, there are usually some specific issues that are great to you, that mean to you. Focus on those more than uh, about the label itself. Because as um, a team that comes up comes up at the episode that we'll release at the end of the month in a chat with Aubrey Marcus, labels are tricky because sometimes the same word can be used to mean very different things to meet different people. So let's not get too carried out with labels. Let's worry about what those labels stand for and how you interpret them and what's the big deal to you. Because that's ultimately what it's all about. And with that... Last question of the day, Lucas with the Z at the end, Lucas with a Z. Cool, I've never seen it that way. <laughs> um, he brings up a point saying how a lot of people that he digs from uh, you, Rogan, Duncan Trussell, and you know, the list continues, seem to have had at some point in their life either a family member or a friend or connection or somebody who was either successful or if they weren't successful they were super smart or if they weren't super smart you know in other words somebody who helped open some doors and they facilitate the process of people ending up where they want to be what about if uh, in your own life you have nothing like that doesn't mean that you have you know you grow up around serial killers or something it just means sort of boring normality what's around you there is no Zen master out there, there is no Master Yoda who points you the way, there's not even somebody who opened the door necessarily for you they're just sort of this grey sea of normality all around you, which is alright, but it's not exactly inspiring. What then? Rich, wanna jump in on that first? Well, it just seems it's all gonna be within yourself anyway. I mean, it doesn't really matter. There's so many folks especially you see them out here in Hollywood where the parents are wildly successful and the kids end up being a disaster because mm-hmm. they become, you know, the child of privilege is not exactly the, the biggest go-getter in the world. So not having a golden ticket or not having a, a parent in the business doesn't stop most of the people I know. I mean, the, especially these comedians, it's what they wanted to do. Right. And they spent their 10 years out there bombing and, and learning their craft. That's the most important thing is to build some sort of belief in yourself. And if there's something you want to go after, go after it. Sit around... Well, I can't make it because nobody's got the door open for me. Well, I don't think that actually exists. And right. anybody waiting around for that invitation, you're going to wait for a long time. You got to be proactive and you got to be involved in your own life. And that's the thing that moves you forward. And of course, there's always going to be people, and nepotism is definitely a real thing, sure. that get that sort of hand up. But time is really good at sort of evening the playing field out. And, you know, the cream rises to the top and every other sort of thing that's been said a million times but i think hard work and and going for it is more important than having somebody that's the right connection not that connections don't hurt right because ultimately it's like think of it as playing cards right the cards you are given are what they are you know somebody gets a really good hand in their hands well obviously it's fast it's a lot easier for them to win than somebody else there's no issue there but the game is still going so even though you may have been handed cards that are less than ideal, and again, the less than ideal is also tricky because when you look at people from the outside in, 
it's sometimes easier to see the bright lights and you don't see all the crap that goes with that so it may not be quite as glamorous as easy or as fun as when it looks from the outside it may be considerably harder inside but again who knows maybe it is objectively they got some easier at some point or another there's something cooler that they got that you don't have you don't have any control over that nobody has any control over that the only thing you have control on is how you're gonna play your cards and again pat on the back to somebody else who has good cards to play and so they do something magnificent with it there's also pressure that goes with it by the way because if you do have good cards to start with then there's that pressure of you better do something amazing oh, and if yeah. you don't what kind of a moron are you and that's the disasters you see around here especially where people have this sort of success oh this guy's a songwriter this guy's a his dad's a great director right they expect you're going to be fantastic at it and the, you know the zoe bowies are the rare exception you know that guy is a great director Right. But I don't think it's because his dad pulled the strings for him. He had to prove himself and pull himself up. And um, Duncan Jones, I think, is what his real name is, or his his, mm. his, his whole name. But no, you're going to have to make your own luck a little bit. And granted, some of it is easier said than done, because sure. we get it that, you know, if you... If you grow up in Beverly Hills with a ton of money, with awesome connections, with it's a lot easier than, you know, somebody who grew up in the middle of the ghetto and they are told, well, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and everything's going to be okay. It's like, well, yeah, okay, thanks, but not quite so easy for... So I get it. You know, it's not to say that there's nothing objective there, but that part, again, you have no control over. The only part you have control over is how you're going to play those cards. So even if you are handed shitty cards, the focus should be on how do I get to play my hand in the best way possible? And whether that leads to success, and again, what does success mean? How do you define it? That's depend on you to some degree and on luck on another. And, you know, you can... Uh, but luck, beside whining about I have it or I don't, there's not much you can do about it. The Your effort is the only element where you have some degree of control, so that's where I would put all the focus on. And the other thing is, well, here is a practical idea besides saying and just do it. The beauty of the modern world is that through books, movies, podcasting, you name it, you have access to more information, more stimuli than anybody did in the past so whereas in the past particularly who you knew who you grew up around shaped you to a, the 10th power now that still shape you but you also have a chance that if you have nothing stimulating around you you can still as long as you have an internet connection go on the net and find the books stuff to read that inspire you stuff that you listen to that inspire you stuff that becomes what you're lacking in your day-to-day -day interaction you can find it from other sources and use those as models and that you make it your own uh, personal family to some degree obviously it's not the same as a real family but there's a family in the sense of you have somebody that you can look up to as a model which doesn't mean you're trying to copy exactly what they do but you use their you use somebody else's inspiration in other words and that's something that's a lot easier to do today than ever in the past. And I would strongly suggest that as an alternative to um, if what's around is not exciting, go that route. And with that, we're wrapping this section. Zipping shut the digital mailbag. We'll visit it next month and on to the next piece of business. Please.
love you, baby. Well, that delicious ukulele music can only mean one thing. It's time for Isabella moment, and something I've definitely learned it. Raising daughters is hard. Yeah, man. Tell me about it. But adorable, too. So. Oh, yeah. It's the best job you'll love to hate? No, yeah. what was it? <laughs> the, so we had Christmas, which I'm not too big on or anything having to do with the calendar, but I'm not such a Grinch that I'm just going to be like, screw it all. You got no gifts because I don't care about Christmas. So she got her gifts and she was happy and everything. At one point, too, it was like a couple of days before Christmas, Isabella told me, I hope Santa brings a Christmas gift to my grandma. And, you know, I don't like the whole telling kids about Santa and all of that. But again, I'm like, ah, I'll let it slide, whatever. And, you know, the, oh, I hope Santa brings a Christmas gift to my grandma sounded all so sweet. So I saw, she said that in front of her teacher and her teacher barely had time to start saying, oh, how sweet. And Isabella added, otherwise, I'll just punch him in the face. <laughs> Jesus Christ. This sounds normal. So, yeah, good luck, Santa, on that note. And um, yeah, I don't know if he actually did bring or not. So maybe Santa, that's why he has a red nose. Now you know. Is, uh, <laughs> and uh, Rudolph, too, while, while Isabella was at it, she just punched them all. On a different note, speaking of red and blood and similar interesting sakes, I was having a weird day. I was tired i was just feeling basically like i was a shitty parent because i was really tired so i parked isabella in front of the tv for hours on end because i just really didn't want to deal with her i was giving her minimal attention i would have paid someone in gold just not to deal with her at the moment and again not because there was anything wrong with her it's because i did not have the mindset to talk to anybody pay attention to anybody and all of that she was sick on top of it so she needed extra attention and i was so i was feeling you know i'm a horrible human being i know it that's where i'm at so i was torturing myself with i'm a horrible human being and i was opening something with a knife and you know i've handled knives forever never cut myself but i think my mind was off somewhere else and knives are great awareness slash meditation teachers so if you're not paying attention if you're not in the moment they will let you know very quickly and very painfully so i cut myself i started dropping blood all over the place and uh, isabella was freaked out and she started making some whimpering sounds that express fear disgust empathy for my pain a mix of it all right sort of that just hey, wow gross it is but also i'm sorry you're hurt but also you know many many things at once i look at the cut and i mean i realize i did not cut any tendon or ligament or anything uh, particularly important it was just surface skin right so it hurts it bleeds that's at the end of it so i just put on my most mellow relaxed voice and uh <laughs> watch out ladies <laughs> and i told isabella look is there's no reason to be afraid of this stuff is blood and blood you don't need to be afraid of like i kind of posed her like slowing down with my voice i'm like look at me i'm the one who's bleeding right She's like yeah it's like do i look afraid to you She's like, no like okay good so let's start there why and i say people freak out when they bleed but a lot of time they make it a lot more than it really is you know the pain is real there's something that hurts i get it that's true but they psych themselves out that when they see blood i didn't use the word psych because maybe pushing but you know i was trying to express it in a language you would understand basically saying 
look, the more you pay attention to it and you say it's blood, it's blood, it's ugly, I freak out, the worse the pain gets. The more you just look at it and it's just is, oh, it's some red stuff coming out of my finger, the less the pain gets. It's just really about how much attention you put into it. So pain is a little bad, but fear makes it really bad. So it's silly because blood is not gross or scary. And and then I put it, but you and I, you know, we're, we're too tough to be scared by this stuff, right? And she was nodding along. I was like, good. So now you know that you don't need to be scared of it. And now you have just become tougher than most of all the other kids that go to school with you because they will be all freaked out if they see blood. But you know that blood is not something to be freaking out about, right? Now grab the phone and call 911. Child abuse. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> the injury was so bad that now that the child is calm. Yeah, no, no, the injury wasn't that bad. It was just, it was bleeding a lot, but it was surface, right? And so now she started looking at the blood, but she was all calm. She wasn't freaking out. So I figured, okay, let's up this game a little bit. So I opened the cut a little bit more with my finger to show her, like, look what's inside. Ooh, let's spray some blood out, kind of made a game out of it. And I wish she would be comfortable with it, even when it got a little grosser. And, you know, I know she hates it when, like, anybody who's sane, who, when you have to disinfect a cat and put alcohol, so anytime she scrapes and I have to put some rubbing alcohol on or anything like that, she's not exactly a big fan of that. So in this case, I had her do it for me. I'm like, you know, I don't like it either, but, you know, it needs to be done, so why don't you do it for me? So you know what it feels like on the other end. And so... She came and, you know, I analogy, alcohol hurts, but it's good for you when you put it on because you disinfect it and clean it. So it needs to be done and the pain eventually goes away. And after that, she could not stop telling me how it's silly, how the mosquitoes are scared of blood and why are they scared of blood? It's just so silly. And, uh, you know, eventually she decided she enforced putting on my finger a pink bandaid with princess on it. Princesses, in case you are wondering, they were Jasmine, Aurora, and Ariel. Um, just in case you are missing this piece of information and your life wouldn't be complete without it. I approve of those princesses. And with my pink decorated finger, then I was uh, on to my merry day. But I figured, you know, it turned out what was a really crappy day and not a particularly happy moment of me slicing my finger turned out in a good teaching, bonding moment. So... It worked out. I would cut the same finger again the same way if it works out that way every time. So <laughs> it was a good deal, all in all. Not too bad. So there was that. <coughs> Sorry. Bless you. So we'll cut that. Let's see. Other, other Isabella moments. Oh, one was interesting. She tried, um, she tried to convince me that putting an apple, a banana, and a piece of cheese in the oven to make cake was a good idea. And I was like, yeah... No, sorry, a not going to happen. ingredients missing there. Yeah, a couple of things. And we went back and forth. She understood I wasn't budging, and so she retreated in somber silence. And um, she eventually, I see her there sitting in the kitchen, all dejected and muttering to no one in particular, I want to get a new data. And I was like, replacement oh, already? Yes. Just because I didn't let you put cheese in the oven. Usually Come on. you get the car <laughs> taken away or something before you get something like that. No, she wanted to, she was looking for a replacement because I was a bad parent. <clears throat> oh, well. Eventually she stopped being mad and, you know, everything was fine. And later in that, day, you know, I think it was the next day or something, she was really happy with me and she was super 
We had uh, multiple servings of chocolate cake. We were watching movies together. I cuddled her like crazy. We played for hours on end. My ability to braid her hair has improved dramatically, so she really liked me a lot that day. And uh, shortly before sleep, she looked at me with his eyes full of love, and she was like, I want no other dada. I want to keep you forever and ever. And then he continued, and she goes, or until you die. Ended up like, you know, it was a sweet, a little creepy, but sweet. And then she goes, and then after you die, after you die, I'll get a new dada. And I thought about it, how to feel about that. I'm like, yeah, fair enough. Okay, so we shook on it. I was like, that's sweet. You know, you love me and you want to keep me forever and ever. But, you know, once I'm gone, I'm gone. And you want a new one after that. Eh, I can respect that. We shook and that was the end of it. So that was my other bizarre conversation of Christmas vacation with Isabella. Wow. Yeah. There's no telling where it comes from, is there? No, she's a, she's a wild one. What can I say? I remember when my oldest was just a tiny little thing, like maybe a year and a half. Uh-huh. And um, I think he was in the bathtub, but, you know, two and a half inches of water. Right. We're in the very next room. He's splashing away. And he started emulating our conversations. The language wasn't there. But it was like the sing song of my right. of my what? It was hysterical. I bet. Anybody out there who's afraid to have children because it's dangerous times, you go out there and get you some. If you've got a good relationship going. Because it is the greatest thing. As horrifically challenging and terrifying and don't expect to have any money. Right. But the despite it all, man, the payback is immeasurable. At the same time, you know what? I was thinking about that question from a couple of times ago yeah. regarding having kids and so on. And I was like, that's a very honest question because there are a lot of people who really shouldn't have kids. For sure. I mean, because, it's almost something you should uh, license, you know? Yeah, because there are a lot of, not only the people who are just fucked up human beings and they shouldn't have kids because they're bad parents, but also maybe you're a very sweet and good person, but... You don't have it, you know. You don't have those dynamics in you, and there's nothing wrong with you. That's no. just fine, you know. It just is not you, and it's good that you know yourself because there are so many morons out there who decide I just need to have a mini me out there so that I feel validated by having checked that box, and they pop out kids, and then they are bad parents. They screw up their kids. It's just so. It's a very good question to ask to think: Am I the right person to be a, a parent or not? Great question. Very just the fact that you ask yourself that question already says something good about you right there. But if you do think that it may be worth it and you know it's a 50-50 thing, 50-50 is not bad because the reality is that it is a 50-50 thing to some degree. You know, it is tough and painful and there's a lot of struggle on one end, but there's a lot of amazing stuff. So as long as you know yourself in that regard, at least you're making an informed choice as opposed to I guess I got the hormones for it. Let's pop out a few kids and it's let's do it. Why not? Society tell me I should. I guess I just heard people <clears throat> again recently that are more of, well, uh, we'll do it when we can afford it. Yeah, that's never going to happen. And that math doesn't exist at yeah, all because you'll course. never be able to afford it. Yeah. And if you want to put a balance sheet across it, just forget it. Yeah. It's gonna, not going to happen. That's for sure. Anyway, with another holiday out of the way, I'm with you. Um, those babies are something else, and my, do they not provide some gray hair. <laughs> Indeed. 
That rousing music can only mean one thing. It is story time, brought to you by our awesome friends at Sure Design T-Shirts. Awesome dresses for your lady friends. Uh, you can't. Re I can't recommend the Ganesh stuff enough. Super cool, awesome design, great fabric, uh, feather soft, and uh, just makes your nipples happy. And what more could you possibly want out of a shirt than that? I can't top that. That was beautiful. Thank you. So, for our story of the month, this is a recent story. You know, we've gone often back far in history, digging up some wild stories there. This is a very, very recent one, last few years. Story of Pat Tillman. Those of you guys who are not familiar with Pat Tillman, uh, Pat Tillman was a um, football player. He got an NFL contract, was making millions. And after 9-11, he basically gave it all up and decided to enlist in the army because he strongly felt about everything that happened and he felt that it was the right thing to do. Now, keep in mind, Pat Tillman was a very interesting guy because he did not fit the stereotype of the guy that is like hand of the heart, American flag in purely a, you know, the president say we need to go fight, let's go do that. You know, he was, um, for one very well read really smart he wore his he had his long hair he would that uh, in the nfl he would just park his bicycle or he arrived at practice parking his bicycle right next to all the bmws in the parking lot and all of that so clearly another type of guy he um as it turns out he's gonna be very much against the iraq war He's uh, an atheist. He's uh, likes Noam Chomsky. You know, he's not exactly the stereotypical guy who signed up following 9/11. But then again, because we go too much by stereotypes, life is more interesting and complicated than that. And Tillman is certainly a reminder of that. In any case, <coughs> story goes that he did a tour in Iraq, and he was mm, quite bugged with that because that was not what he signed up for. He felt like part of the whole thing was about Al-Qaeda and instead what he got doing in Iraq, he felt like this war is bullshit, that's not what I'm supposed to be doing here. But, you know, he's the kind of guy that he made a commitment, he's going to see it through the end. So even when they gave him a chance to get out and resume his NFL practice halfway through, he decided to stick with it and finish his commitment and all wow. of that. And uh, he was later, his second tour was in Afghanistan and... Story goes that the way they describe the tale is that his unit was ambushed by the Taliban and the initial narration that the army gives that will become the official story that sold for quite a while is that uh, heroic Pat Tillman got his gun in hand, saved all his comrades, charging the enemy uphill and died in a hail of bullets while fighting heroically, a true American hero, blah, 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 blah. Now, keep in mind, Tillman was, at this point, the most famous enlisted man in the army. There was really nobody else at that level with the amount of pressure and fame and press surrounding his story. So this was the perfect Hollywood story, right? The heroic guy who gave up millions of dollars to go fight in this war and dies a hero's death, saving all his friends. Uh, you can cue in the Hollywood music and everything else. It's almost so like someone wrote the story. <clears throat> really? Yeah. Is it? He was awarded a Silver Star, which is third highest um, military honor, all of that. And 
it's it's funny when you see it to this uh, writing of the story and the process of it when you see even at the um, funeral the memorial there for Tillman just a few days later when his family still doesn't really know the details of anything that happened there's confusion about the whole thing but it's becoming obvious that everybody the Tillman case is being used for propaganda it's being used to sell the war and there's a whole list of uh, politicians that show up at the funeral wanting to give their speech. Now, Tillman had explicitly asked that he had the inkling, you know, if I were to die, they are going to use this as a public relations stunt. I don't want that. So he explicitly requested that he didn't want a military funeral. And one of the first things that the military did was send <clears throat> um, some officers to his widow to ask permission for a military funeral, thinking that she was enough in grief and put some pressure, which was particularly disgusting because when they show it on TV, then they show these guys walking out of Tillman's house, kind of all choked up, and they are there to support the widow. They are there to make her sign something that she didn't want to sign, trying to sell the war better by giving the guy a military funeral and making a big show about it. Not exactly that what happened. In any case... At the memorial that they are going to have, there's this whole list of politicians that try to spin their story like a damn movie. These rhetoric, flowery speeches that are all about, you know, there's one by John McCain that really makes you throw up when you, when you see it because he goes on about how one day we'll all be reunited with him thanks to a loving God. And shortly thereafter, Tillman's brother, his younger brother, jump in and uh, you know his first thing is he take a sip of beer he say i didn't write shit because i'm not a writer that's how his speech begins and one of the things he says is basically say you know thanks for saying nice things about him but <clears throat> he's not with god he's fucking dead he's not religious so thanks for your thoughts but he's fucking dead that's a speech right there you know that's a, and what is going with that is emphasizing the difference between the mythology they were beginning to build around him and making it all flowery and and the reality of it all so in some way the one of the things that was beginning to bug the families there was clearly there was a whole list of people trying to turn pat tillman into something that he wasn't and they were the person that they wish he was and who he was. They were two different people. And he, they really didn't appreciate their son, the brother, whatever the relationship was, being turned into this something else. But here is where the story gets considerably weirder. Because as evidence begins to emerge, suddenly the official story turns out not to be quite so accurate. Because for one... He wasn't killed by the Taliban. He was killed by friendly fire. Well, if there is such a thing as friendly fire, but he was killed by American soldiers. And again, the, this is interesting on two levels. First, that many generals fully knew that it was friendly fire long before they released to the public the information that he died heroically fighting the Taliban. So they were clearly trying to spin a story and they were complicit in a cover-up, essentially. And the fact that this is a cover-up is pretty obvious. This is we don't have to go in crazy conspiracy land to see it because <laughs> his uniform, body armor were immediately destroyed, which you don't do it without, you know, why would you hide evidence? His diary was gone. They started editing a lot of what happened very quickly in that fashion. The doctor's reports initially 
indicated that the shot was from very close, that this was somebody. So this whole notion of shot from afar by the Taliban wasn't quite the case. The reports were completely ignored. So right there, you get the feeling that something is really off with this story. Now, eventually, even when it becomes obvious that it was friendly fire, even the family, initially, they feel bad for some of the soldiers involved, feeling like they were probably scared, they were under attack, they freaked out, they didn't identify the target, they shot at the right thing, oops, you know, bad, but... The more they read, the more it shows up that in the best case scenario, these were not people who shot him out of fear, these were people who shot him out of gross negligence, where they completely screwed up, identifying the target, they were very itching for shooting at stuff and, you know, being in a gunfight and all of that. That's at least the way the family explain it. So their version of poor scared of soldiers turned into something else according to their understanding of the story and basically you know then why if this is what happened whether the friendly version of these guys were scared and messed up and killed them or the less friendly of these guys were just freaking stupid and they didn't follow the basic rules that you do when you engage an enemy that's why i ended up shooting the wrong target in either case it's obviously friendly fire so why would the military spin this whole story when they perfectly knew what happened? And it really boils down to they wanted to sell the war. They wanted to tell some Hollywood tale that they could use to mm, drum up support for the war and all of that. And they figure, you know, we make up the story and even if the family finds out, as they will find out, they will shut up in order to maintain this heroic image. They'll cut them another check, they'll play ball. Exactly, and they just didn't count that the Tillman family was not a normal family in that regard, and they they played by a different sense, and they were mad with the fact that the military and the government were trying to turn their son into a symbol for their own hands, and well, so they did not go along with the program at all. What was the girl, not, Jessica Lynch? Was that her? Was yeah, that's the, a the very fake similar, rescue, yeah. same sort of thing. None of it was any what they reported. Absolutely. It's, that's the other famous story from those wars that was completely made up to sell the war. Uh, where what happened and what they say happened are two radically different things. It's interesting that Tillman was involved in the Jessica Lynch rescue, so there's even was a connection really? with that. Yeah. Well, did you ever hear the, the, the stories out of Tora Bora? <coughs> this was before Iraq had even started. Right. That they had Hussein, Saddam Hussein, not Saddam Hussein, good uh, bin Laden. Osama bin Laden yeah. pinned down right. in these mountains. But they were hot to get the Iraq thing started. Right. And they knew, they knew where he was, they could pin him down, but it was going to probably cost two, three, four hundred guys to go through those mountains and get him. Right. No, they blew it. They completely blew it. It's obvious, you know. That's the, just so they could have their fucking war. Yeah, precisely. Now, on that note, to make the story even more disturbing, there's very conflicting evidence regarding the idea that there were any Taliban in the area. Yeah. Some people say that maybe there were, but far off in the distance, they fired a couple of shots that got nowhere near the troops, and that was that. Because in fact, nobody was wounded, at least not by the Taliban. And there was not a single shot in any of the vehicles around coming from the Taliban. So some people questioned there were no Taliban. People freaked out. Somebody made a mistake, made some noise. They thought it was somebody else, but there were no enemies in sight. So that's one possibility. And also the other issue that become really tricky in this story is that some of the doctors testified that based on the pattern of Tillman wounds, he looked like not only they shot at him first, 
Tillman ducked down, he was wounded, he threw out a flare to show, look, it's us, it's other Americans. And then when this guy stopped shooting, he got up and saying, I'm Pat fucking Tillman, you know, it's like, it's me, what are you doing? You know, it's like, and then they start shooting at him again. That's which is right there. Shady. And then the thing is that some doctors say that he was shot from really close. Some say within a few feet, which would make it not an accident, it would make it murder. Why would they do it? There's a million possible reasons. And again, that's where you go into conspiracy land because we don't know. We don't know whether it was murder or whether it was accidental. In the best case scenario, it was uh, serious negligence. In the worst case scenario, it wasn't negligence at all. There was a plan to kill him. And we can speculate about why. I mean, the fact that he was the most famous guy in the army at this point was radically anti-war and was going to go back home to do that may have had something to do with it. Or maybe not, and maybe it was just a case of somebody being very stupid and shooting without paying attention and killing the wrong guy. It's a possibility. But, you know, the fact that that's... It makes you even wonder more about the murder issue when somebody has twisted the story so bad based on what happened. Looks suspicious at that point. <clears throat> at that point, you don't believe anything they do. Yeah. You know? It's, so it's... What a disaster, man. So there's that story. And, uh, I mean, even in that is bizarre because when you look at some of the stuff, like one of the guys who was in charge of investigating some of the Tillman events was this one uh, officer who, uh, I quote, he... Um, he basically started blaming Tillman family for um, for keeping up, wanting to find out the details of what happened. You know, he and he basically ended up saying, you know, the reason why these guys can't let go is because they are not Christian. That's why they keep harping about what happened, what happened, what happened. I quote, he said, these people have a hard time letting it go. It may be because of their religious beliefs. Uh, and then he goes on about, you know, if you're an atheist, they say, when you die, I mean, there's supposedly to be a better life, right? Well, if you're an atheist and you don't believe in anything, if you die, what is there to go to? Nothing. You're warm dirt. So for their son to die for nothing and now he's no more, I don't know how an atheist think. I can only imagine that would be pretty tough. So his idea is these guys can't let it go, can't go with, along with the military version because they don't believe in the afterlife. That's their problem. Just like, wow. Seriously, that's where it's at. They're just nuts. Just completely, insanely nuts. But the whole thing, you know, the whole Tillman tale, whether we go for the more conspiratorial version and there was something darker and uglier and it was murder and there was political motivation behind it, whether it was just a messed up accident that was um, blown, you know, completely spun the wrong way and all of it, there clearly was an element of deliberate pattern of deception regarding the whole story for the purpose of turning it into a propaganda tool. And uh, the whole thing is, in fact, in many ways, the, what the whole story wraps up into is the difference between turning a flesh-and-blood human being like Tillman into a bullshit, holier-than-thou kind of meat who can do no wrong and all of that versus a genuine 360-degree human being, a person who... A conflictual personality, some amazing, you know, the, we, we told the, and that's what the family was opposed to, is turning into a symbol. He was a human being, they loved him for the human being that he was, with all his contradiction and stimuli and the weird 
person that he was is what they loved, not the romanticized Hollywood version of what the military was trying to turn him into, which had nothing to do with who he was. And so I appreciate that, you know, they are turning me into this heroic figure in some way. What they are thinking is the family is going to be thankful for us because we give him the silver star, which he probably, you know, why would you give a silver star to a dude that probably wasn't even a fight to the Taliban at the moment? They, we give him this military hero record. They can go back home, pat themselves on the back and feel good about it. And they do not understand why Tillman family was mad, which was like, that's not him. This is your bullshit symbol that you are creating to sell a war. That's not what happened. That doesn't mean that he's any less heroic, but he's for very different reasons. Not for the reasons you think he's heroic, not for the reasons they are making up he's heroic. He's heroic for very other reasons. And that's, you know, you got to appreciate somebody who's willing to embrace in honest fashion the reality of who their son was versus this uh, bullshit, rara, sell the war element. And, you know, if nothing else makes you distrust the government, something as basic as that, you know, without having to think the government was behind 9-11, without having to go far, just simple, something like this, which is proven. There's no argument about this, right? It's very obvious what happened in that regard. If this doesn't show to you that you just cannot trust this is, I guess, related to our question that we have um, regarding serving in the military that we address in the digital mailbag section. That's why, you know, because I wouldn't trust for a second anybody higher up in the places where military and government meet. Oof, the dark alleys. Yeah, that's this is what you get. This, the manipulation of the Tillman story is what you get. So Alex Jones will be buying and straighten us all out for us shortly. <laughs> no, that was that was the worst one. I mean, it was just insane that this guy really. I mean, it was heroic to quit the football team mm-hmm. and all that money, and pass it off, and I'm going to yep. do it for. And everybody sort of had that crazy passion going. I mean, those mm-hmm. first few weeks after it all went down was crazy, but man, did they pull the wool over on our eyes? Yeah, and they didn't even touch the intelligence stuff that's coming out now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Snowden may be one of my favorite people of the last year when you actually see what he uncovered. And whistleblowers, we got to have them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, stuff like this is insane. But again, it's normal. But it it happens all the time. It was Tillman's mother that dug all this. So she, yep. she would never take no for an answer. Absolutely. Very tough lady. Yeah. And I'm sure she got some interesting visits late at night. Probably. You could keep a little quieter, you know. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> That's a sad story time. Yep. Not a happy one because there's no resolution at the end. None of these guys end up paying a price. None of these. There's it's totally squashed the investigation in how high it went, who authorized it. But it's pretty obvious that it went pretty high. Well, folks, that's a story time. <laughs> He's gonna, Rich is going to cry now. I don't like these kind of things. They make me crazy. I know. I know. But it's, you know, it's reality. Yep. I'm sure there's craziness going on right now. Yep. That some dark government office. Are you hearing this NSA? So that's going to about wrap it up. This is our final post-jazzy riff closing section. And that must mean it's time 
to destroy some people's surnames. Yes, first names, nicknames, everything. Let the pottering begin. So the lovely people who donated to us this month, we have Travis Marsot. E next one I'm gonna have trouble. I wanna say Anil Panday, but I have no idea. So take my creative interpretation of your name if <laughs> thank you. Dustin Hagen, Gordon Cinco, Mark Olfier. I think so, Olfier probably. Gary Scott. I think I can handle Gary Scott. Yeah, That's, yeah. And uh, Mercedes de la Cruz. Very rare female donor. I was so say a girl. We deeply appreciate it. And um, not that we don't appreciate the rest of you guys, but, no. you know, ladies are the exceptions. Uh, <laughs> Connor O'Neill. Take a guess where Connor O'Neill donates from. Probably Kenya, right? Oh, is, I didn't even no, get that. Connor O'Neill is clearly Irish. So with a last name like that, O'Neill doesn't get any more Irish than that. And so if you... Um, thank you, Connor. And Matt Jorgensen who donated about three minutes before we started recording this episode. Wow. So he's right in with these guys. All of you, thank you, thank you so much for supporting the podcast. Those of you who can't support the podcast because you have no money or you don't feel like playing with PayPal or any of that stuff, you can always drop us a review on iTunes. That's a very nice thing you can do for us. We deeply appreciate it as well. Other things that we should announce um, for our t-shirts, Drunk and Taoist t-shirts, shoot me an email if you need it. Um, you can pick the color. I'll make sure yeah, we have your size. Uh, and, um, you know, we have the old design in stock that's going to always be in stock. And then we're going to add a new one probably in the next couple of months. More about that in upcoming episodes. Those of you guys who have been asking me about uh, a Taoist lecture series that I've mentioned forever and never delivered, I'm getting closer to delivering. So by, I'm going to go on a limb and say by March it should be out. So you'll hear more about it. But just to let you know, it is getting done. I'm about halfway through roughly. And uh, let's see, Daisy House, thank you so much for the music as usual. Anything else? Keepit.org. Check it out, guys. The uh, the ranks are swelling once the Drunken Taoist, Team Drunken Taoist, which is just nice to say. Um, help somebody get a water pump for their family. Help somebody get a, some geese or some ducks. Or I think we had one lady that was getting, uh, she's putting a pet store of some kind together, and this was to help with her new displays. Right. It's amazing the number of countries that are available. Um, the return rate is 99.08% on loans. I don't think anybody in the United States is doing anything like that. Right. And uh, you really are, you know, helping individuals out in the world. So do your little bit. Every little bit helps. The USA could always use a little positive spin internationally. And uh, just thanks for listening as always, everybody. Beautiful. Thank you guys so much. Have a wonderful day. And so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as soon as they come out. You can keep track of Daniel at dbolelli, that's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I, 
And you can find me on Twitter at Richimon1. That's R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N, the numeral one. See y'all soon. Duncan showed you the way, yeah? Oh, man, isn't that scary to think? Nice. Get back to work!